Welcome to the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. So the next sequel that we're going to be covering is Iron Eagle 4 or Iron Eagle on the Attack. And I was lucky enough to interview one of the stars, not once, but twice. Twice, because I accidentally deleted the interview we did back in May. But he was such a sport, he did it again. And that is actor Jason Cadeau, who took over the reins of the role played by Jason Gederick in the first film. And he plays Doug Masters. Man, what a great character name. So it was great to pick, you know, Jason's mind because... He was going into this role. This was like his first big role, star of a movie opposite the legendary Lou Gossett Jr., which he has some amazing stories about. And man, it, it, his story is unbelievable because how he went from a minor role in a play to being a major role, and then things just changed for him. So we talked about his love of theater, his connections he made through acting classes, a very famous roommate that he had. And just a lot more. He was a blast to chat with. And during the interview, you're going to hear us talk about a shirt that he was wearing. Very cool. It's a Jason Voorhees shirt inspired by G.I. Joe. And it's a Fright Rag shirt. So I'll put the link into the episode notes so you can follow them on Instagram on their website where you can purchase it. And then also I'll put Jason's Instagram on there as well. If you're new here, please subscribe, share, rate us. We love that you're here. So enjoy this week's interview with Jason and then also go back, check out all of our other content, tons of interviews, tons of sequel reviews, lots of fun and follow us on all social media at sequels only. So I'm going to quit yapping and here is the amazing Jason Cadeau. And it's funny, I'll start the interview like right here. So obviously... You're so awesome for doing this again, because somehow out of like 150 interviews, I don't know how I deleted it, but if I could say this in like a way that I'm thankful that it's you because I had a good time (laughs) last time. And I think you'd be cool enough to say yes, but it's so funny. One thing we never got to when we talked last time, we'd start a little bit backwards, but speaking about, you know, what's going on in the world right now is like the show you're on mission Genesis, deep water black. That show is about a virus. And that show is kind of like a following. I know it was only on for like a season. Yeah, one season. Yeah. yeah. But like searching for that, there's a lot on it online. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was based on a series of books. And I think whenever you are able to get uh, your hands on a property that was a book, and not only just one book, but a series of books uh, that are popular, you're going to inherit a following. And they did... uh, you know, they really, they really tried to make, I think, to honor the source material. And it was an interesting premise. Yeah. That a group of, you know, uh, young, like, you know, with an array of talents to represent humanity gets shot into space to try to find a safe place. I mean, it's not a, it's not a super original concept, you know, like, uh, but, but that was, that was deep water black and, 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 uh, you know, yeah. Anytime, and you look at any property now, any any storyline that deals with humanity facing the consequences of it, either it, how it's destroyed the planet or of the 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 you know of some kind of viral outbreak. You know, it's now we're living in one. And I, I actually yeah. listened to an interview with Stephen King, and and they they said you know they were talking about the stand, and he was like, 
all I can say is I'm sorry. I didn't mean to freak everybody out, you know, or to predict, you know, like, but these are, these are real things, you know, like are we in our history that we kind of think, oh, that'll never happen to us, you know, dealing with, you know, the black plague and, you know, the Spanish flu uh, and what that did, but, oh, those are, those are old timey things. Now in modern society, there's no place for that, but you know, it's a, it's a really dark and awful reminder of our, you know, how fragile (laughs) we all are, you know, especially when you hear about kids, you know, getting sick and stuff. It's, it's just, it's scary. It's really scary. And hit, and like you said, history, it like repeats itself no matter what it comes back around, no matter what in history, we look back, things happen more than once very often. Yeah. And they're, and they are great. Like we were talking about, you know, fear is a fuel for creativity and, that's you know that is such a rich uh you know trove of of you know like uh, uh story ideas and um when we did deep water i don't think many of we didn't honestly we didn't think too much about that we were just i think all the storylines were just about we were constantly being attacked by something you know like <laughs> so the ship was falling apart we were you know there were uh, uh aliens i mean it was just like and we, and I think the thing that was original about that story that I, that storyline that I think is really cool was that we were, you know, all in kind of cryogenic chambers and we were meant to kind of be age into this responsibility. And then when the time was right, the, the holographic mother brain would wake us up and say, okay, we've reached our destination. You're all adults now, please execute the mission. But, you know, we get awoken, uh, you know, the system breaks down, of course, and we get awoken too early. And we not only do we have all these failures in the ship system, but we have our shortcomings because we're not, you know, fully grown adults and don't quite <laughs> understand uh, ourselves and, and how to relate to each other. And I thought that was probably the, the really cool part uh, and a really cool way in for young audiences, you know, because it was aimed at, you know, young audiences and, and it was sci-fi for young audiences. And I mean, you know, that's what I would have responded to yeah. as, a, as a young TV watcher was, you know, I was, when I was, I was watching, you know, sci-fi and horror way too young than I probably should have. Right. <laughs> I mean, check out my shirt, you know, I love that dude. G.I. Yeah. Jason. Jason Edmondson is the artist of this shirt. It's a limited edition fright rag shirt. If anybody's listening to this, the folks who are listening to this should definitely check out Fright Rags. I'm a big fan of their t-shirts and sweet. I'll put the link in the episode. Now. Yeah, it's please nice. do. Yeah. They're, they're, they make great, you know, uh, t-shirts that celebrate definitely an era of, uh, horror and sci-fi that I love. And that's what I grew up on. And so getting a, getting to be a part of anything genre for me is a huge, uh, thrill. Like right now I'm in, um, I'm in a, a, a play and it's a, it's a mystery. Like it's a straight up, um, the author, Robert W. Wright took the characters of Sherlock Holmes and wrote like, I have a new Sherlock mystery and it's all, you know, lots of fog and scary music. And I mean, I just, I just love it. I love getting to do genre. I love creating genre, being a part of genre. And, um, and that was a really, you know, that was cool. I remember being on that, you know, they have, if you watched any of that stuff, they built in retrospect, they figured out this was a terrible idea. Like when they went to post, but they built, you know, every sci-fi show has the, you know, the, the, 
the um, the deck where all the crew has to man their stations, right? You pick a sci-fi show that has a ship in it and you've got their version of the deck, right? All yeah. the great shows have that. Firefly, Star Trek, Star Wars, anything. They all have that. So we had ours and they actually built it on blocks and they wet, they would wedge when, whenever we were under attack, they would wedge like, like big two by fours under it and shake the whole thing. So we would be like doing this. And then rather than us going, Oh, you know, the, the whole set would kind of jar you and, and we would collectively oh get thrown and it was super fun, but it was a nightmare apparently uh, for post to fix what that did to sound and the visuals. And they were like, Oh, that was a bad idea. <laughs> they thought it was clever, but you know, uh, but it was probably more work than it was worth. But uh, yeah, I had, I had a good time on that show. I, you know what I have actually, if I was close, I'd grab it. I have the soundtrack. I was like, I was out. I think I was like at a garage sale or something <laughs> and someone was selling a bunch of CDs and I still, I'm an old timer. I like to buy CDs. Nice. I like putting in a CD in the car. Yes, my car has a CD player and uh, and like listening to an, an album, essentially, which is not technically an album, but, you know, like rather than a playlist, although I like that, too. And I'm looking through these CDs and I'm like, it's DWB. And I was like, and I was like, and I remember the ship on the show and it's got the ship. And I was like, oh, my God, that's that's my show. That's the soundtrack of my <laughs> show. And it's all like super like dancey like like kind of stuff right and i had no idea and it had and it, they got names like the tracks have names like bren's awakening and all this kind of stuff that i was like nice. what a cool thing to have you know so it's sitting in my stack of in a box <laughs> somewhere of cds that i have i should, should crack it out and drive around to it <laughs> that's great so how did the shaw festival go because just before we talked the first time it was at the end of june july-ish Right. Not everything right. take off with everything it's, going on. It's still going. I mean, you know, uh, oh, here, nice. yeah. I mean, the, the typically the show goes till the fall, and you know, the provincial government um, loosened restrictions again, so we are allowed to have even more people in the theater as long as they're masked and they can be distanced. So that's been great. So we've had some larger houses. I think the festival overall has gotten into a groove, and we've all gotten used to. Gotten, gotten our heads wrapped around. There's just a lot of outdoor stuff. I mean, it's tons of outdoor stuff uh, that we're doing. And we've all kind of gotten into a groove of performing. And and it's, so it's going really well. Thanks for asking. Yeah, it's super fun. And audiences are liking the shows. And it's just so such a gift to be in a theater, you know, yeah. and and putting on a show for people. It, after going through the past almost two years, like 19 months or whatever, I honestly didn't know if that would happen, at least not anytime soon. So to, to just be doing it is such a gift and I'm so grateful. And I think the audiences are grateful to be there and that yeah. energy uh, can be felt and it's, it's pretty amazing. So it's, it's great. I know you're a Jones in and obviously just doing it over like the zoom, like the, when you guys are like rehearsing, you're like, we're doing it cause we got to do it, but it's just not the same. So that's cool. Oh my man. God. No, no. Yeah. I mean, theater, Live performance, you know, I heard a great quote. I was listening to a podcast called This Is Something Else, which is a really interesting podcast uh, that was uh, written and read, by, you know, by a team of people, but led by a guy named Andrew Kushner, who's a, just a brilliant guy. And that investigates the history of the Vancouver Arts Club, which is Canada's largest, uh, you know, one of lar the largest urban theaters. And 
sort of looking at its history and its development and where it's been and where it's going to go. It's really fascinating. And a lot of, there was a lot of talk about, you know, what is theater? Like, what is it, you know, and listening to some really brilliant Canadian theater makers talk about trying to define it as, you know, it really is something that happens in the air between, you know, audience and, and, and the people who make the show it's, it happens there. And uh, it's, that's why it's so special and so uh, important. And, you know, it's, there's nothing like it as an actor. So to get back to it uh, with su- in such a privileged, um, you know, uh, place like the festival uh, is, is, I just feel so lucky, you know, so there's a lot of actors who aren't working yet. So I feel very lucky. That's great. So let's talk about like the beginnings. So you grew up, it was outside of Toronto is where you grew up. No, I grew up in Toronto. I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess I grew up in a suburb of Toronto called Etobicoke. Etobicoke, we called it the Coke. <laughs> um, but it was like, it's just, and that's, I think it doesn't even exist anymore. I think now it's, it's all just this mega city, Toronto, right? Um, but yeah, I grew up there and, uh, you know, I would take the subway into, uh, into, into downtown, right? I guess the equivalent would be like living in Queens and taking the train into yeah. Manhattan, right? Yeah. Or, you know, being in the hills and getting into, you know, Hollywood or something, you know. Um, and uh, so I, I grew up, I'm a Toronto kid. I grew up in the city and then, and then started working uh, quite young. I was in high school. I guess it was in my last year of high school when I saw, I, and I went to an arts high school. I mean, that's, that's huge. Like I knew I wanted to be a performer. I wasn't sure what that meant. So there was a local school in Etobicoke called Etobicoke School for the Arts. And uh, I had to audition to get in, right? And I auditioned. I, and I auditioned because my, um, I, I was really a big fan of visual arts. And also I thought I could, I want to perform. Like I was, you know, I was like a clown. I just like to make people laugh and like the attention. And, and so I auditioned in both streams and got accepted in both streams and needed to choose. And I chose, I honestly, when I look back on it, I think I was scared of the, what I perceived as the work that would be required to be a visual artist, like the actual hours of practice. I didn't get that. That's the same thing for acting. I just thought I can just wing it, you know, or something. (laughs) But uh, so I chose, I chose the, the, the drama stream and, and, you know, you spent every day. So it was a regular high school where you had all, you know, you had to do your English, your math, your science and all the rest of it. But every day you started in with your major and you had a group of, uh, you know, kids that were majoring and, and they, you traveled through the high school, you know, with that same group, as long as they didn't transfer out or, or, or fail or whatever. Um, <laughs> and so that's sort of where I started to learn what theater was or could be, or what your place was in it. And then my last year in high school, I uh, was looking at a, there's a, a magazine in Toronto, free, free magazine called now magazine it still exists. It's a fantastic publication. And, that's where I saw an audition for a play. And that was where I auditioned for a production of Romeo and Juliet that happened uh, in downtown Toronto under the Bathurst street bridge. So this is like, you know, a major bridge that has streetcars running over it. And um, it was a kind of really grassroots startup theater company that wanted to do something, you know, take a classic and reinvent it. And um, so they, they chose Romeo and Juliet. I got cast as, the assistant to the nurse 
which is like <laughs> not not a written part in in the uh, in Shakespeare's text, right? It was just like, okay, you want to be part of the show? Great. We'll, we're going to team you up with the guy who's playing the nurse, um, and uh, and that's what you'll do. And I was like, just thrilled to be a part of it, right? Then they fired Romeo because he wasn't working out. <laughs> and I asked the director, Sarah Stanley, I was like, can I audition for that? And she was like, yeah, yeah, you can. And so I worked my butt off and I went in and I auditioned and they, they cast me. I don't, you know, wow. to this day, I, I'm, I don't know why, but they did. And, and I had, you know, and the production ended up really exploding. Like we were on the cover of the Globe and Mail at one point, which is like, wow you know, national newspaper in, in Canada. And like, I, I, that never, that doesn't happen. Right. Like that just doesn't happen. But I think because the play was so eclectic and how it utilized people who were living on the streets as part of our, through a program called um, kites, which was Kensington youth organization. It, it, it utilized that organization to bring in youth who were living on the streets or had just gotten off of living on the streets as part of our crew. It was outside. It was it was uh, sort of a post-apocalyptic version. It was just this really amazing thing that they were doing that it just attracted a lot of attention. And so all of a sudden there was a lot of interest in in us and in me as an actor. And I, you know, I was literally like finishing high school. So that's how <laughs> I got started. You know, that's uh, the, the agent who I had came to see the show. Uh, at the, and I was with this agent for many, many years after that. He, he, and he said, look, you're, you're just starting out and I think it's important to uh, here's what I think is important about where you're at. And we got along and I, that's how I started going for work, more professional work. And it actually, you know, it wasn't that long after that show when I did Iron Eagle, What you know? Oh, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. When was that show? Like 91, 92. I want to say, yeah, somewhere in there, somewhere in there. Yeah. And then a couple years later, you know, I, I was then then the process of like having representation and going out and 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 I, that's I just learned that by doing it. I didn't, yeah. You know, they don't teach you how to audition in arts high school, right? Yeah. And in fact, they don't really focus on that, to my understanding, in a lot of post secondary programs either. That's that's just not what you go there for. It depends on the program, right? Like, I'm not saying that's carte blanche across the across the board that schools don't deal with that because some do i'm sure they do but they leave that they like they focus on the craft they focus on they focus on you know learning how to analyze text and using your voice and your body and things that you need right but you do need to know how to audition so i started (laughs) doing it i would take private classes and then just you know hit the ground hit the pavement and just do all these auditions and uh it wasn't long after doing the theater that theater gig that Iron Eagle came along. Wow. Yeah. Cause you had family passions around yeah. 93 and then 95 Nancy drew, which I remember from when we chatted last time was, I don't know if that's when you met Scott Speedman. Is that where you like made that connection with him? Oh, that's a good quote. When did I meet him? I think I met him through acting class. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I think that was where we connected and I, we did work to we did work on the same show. I don't, were we in the same episode? I honestly can't remember. There was only like thirteen. He was in. I just looked it up before to double check. He was in like five or six of them, and then you were in. I think you were just in one of them. So maybe that worked connected that way. But it's yeah. No, I'm pretty sure we we met. We connected uh, through acting class. We both trained with, and I, I remember we talked about this last time. We both trained 
with a teacher. Her name was uh, Jacqueline McClintock, and she's since passed. And she was a, a beautiful uh, human being and a, an amazing teacher. And she taught specifically. She, she taught the Meisner technique. She was a graduate of the Neighborhood Playhouse in New York, and uh, she taught that particular technique, which is where I eventually found that that was you know I found her class and really. If I were to say that I'm affiliated with any kind of way of, you know, practice, it would be that, although I'm not an expert or anything. My wife's the expert. She's really good. She knows what she's doing. She's an actress. She's an actress and she teaches, she teaches it. We both actually, that's, that's where we both kind of were introduced to that technique. And then Stephanie really, uh, really was, she always taught, like my wife always taught improv and she was, that's part of like her Bailiwick, you know, like she, she likes to teach. She really thought Meisner was incredible and wanted to, that technique was incredible and wanted to learn more. She ended up going to New York and uh, training there. And then they offered her a job and we lived there for six years while she taught at the playhouse. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. She's, and she's quite good at it. And, and she's, you know, she's good to teach her. And uh, I am not so much a gifted practitioner. I try, but you know, <laughs> I do what I can. Um, but uh, I think that's, I'm pretty sure that's where Scott and I would have connected. He was definitely a student there. And I remember he went, he went to the playhouse for a year and then it wasn't, didn't take long for folks to realize, I think the uh, incredible talent that he is. And he was just having a hard time because he was being pulled in the professional direction pretty hard. And he, you know, he wanted to study. He's very serious about his craft. He's a very serious dedicated actor but he also had these amazing opportunities you know and he, he, he this is this isn't a common story either like or this isn't a real like this happens you know to yeah. a lot of actors they go to school they're talented they work hard and then people need them want them for their shows you know my path was all just studying on on my own time independently and then trying to get work you know which is also i think you know one way of doing it you know, <laughs> I think it's so crazy when you think about your age. So like 95 is when Iron Eagle came out. So it could have filmed in 95 or late 94, however it worked out. But you're like 21. And yeah. if you do the timeline of the of the series, because the first movie came out, I think, 85, 86. So how old was J- Doug Masters in that movie? Well, he was like, he was a teenager. He was like, he was like a teenager. He was. Oh right? yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. 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 And I had to play him a little older than I was, you know, yeah. by the time they got to him in that particular chapter of the Iron Eagle series, you know, he would, uh, they've written in a backstory that he was, you know, that he'd been captured by the Russians and had spent time in prison. And so they wanted a harder, uh, Sydney wanted a harder, more jaded, angry, angsty, Doug Masters, right? So I spent a lot of time unshaven and smoking, <laughs> drinking, drinking, you know, and and trying my best to 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 feel the, those parts of what they were wanting or portray those parts of what they were wanting. But you know, that was my first film. I mean, you know, um, and and I'd shot like as you say, I shot. I think I think doing Family Passions. You mentioned Family Passions. That's a, that's a soap. That was like a a legit soap opera, like where they would block shoot, like they would, they would, you'd get the script the night before you would shoot five to six episodes in a week. So one a day, 
right? So you're getting scripts and same thing with uh, Deepwater Black. You, know, you get a script and you have to memorize all the lines and show up the next day and you do the blocking in the morning and you shoot the entire episode in the afternoon. And so going through that for a year, which I did with Family Passions before getting to Iron Eagle, really was, you know, the best kind of training you can get if you, if, to, to be in, you know, to be acting under that kind of pressure, like with cameras and directors and, you know, because it is a lot of pressure uh, to, to act in film and television because, you know, in, in the world of theater, you get weeks with the text and nobody, your director, your fellow actors in rehearsal and really unpacking the scenes and mining the material and creating the bond between you and, and your fellow artists who are going to play the scenes and, and you, and also telling the story in a chronological order and building that kind of momentum. But in, in, in film and television, you don't, one, you don't get a lot of rehearsal, if any, you have to shoot the expectation. A lot of the time is that you show up performance ready, you know, yeah. which is bananas. And that's not always the case, right? That's not always the case. And, and a lot of, I've been on situations where, Actors will seek each other out, say, can we rehearse the scene a bit, you know? And but it's it's a really unnatural, it can be a very unnatural way of 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 trying to tell a story as an actor, if especially if you're used to the theater. Um, so I haven't gone through, you know, a year of doing a soap opera, I, you know, I had all the, if you want to say tricks or experience or, you know, of going through that. So but it was still my first time doing a film. It was, it was all new and it was all bizarre. You know, it was just, it was just crazy because half our crew was from the States and African, like our, our, our crew was Canadian, but a lot of the actors were American and certainly Lou, Lou Gossett was American, obviously, and having you know, working with the star and understanding what the politics of that were or weren't was all new to me. Right. Although Lou was, Lewis, like the, such a class act, you know, he didn't, he didn't, he generated such a feeling of uh, generosity and as an actor and as a person on set, you know, like he just was like, always had a smile, always a good morning, good night, thanks for the day. Just, you know, a real class act, a real pro, good actor. I was just, yeah, I have nothing but good memories of him. And uh, as an example, He's, you know, you can do a lot worse if you want to, you know, be the lead guy on a movie set. You know, you, you follow his lead. He's he was amazing. Even when you watch that movie, you know, like when the camera's right in his face. I mean, he is just he's got a twinkle in his eye and he is so present, you know, and uh, so giving. Um, and he's always like that. If you were to watch it, you would see what I'm talking about. You watch no, it. I, know. I just just before we chatted, I watched the beginning again. When he approaches yeah. you after you, that's what I was mentioning when you wake up and like the, yeah, just the look that he has in his eye. And I think I, I we kind of talked about this the other time, but it, it's so perfect how the formula is like, I think toy soldiers, if nobody's seen that movie, it's one of Sean Astin's best movies. Will Wheaton, that cast is unbelievable. And Lou Gossett, I'm sure somebody watched that movie because they think that came out in 92 or 93. They're like, man, this guy's great with that formula because that's what this movie kind of is troubled kids oh, yeah. he's helping them out yeah it's one of the it's one of the best movies it's so good and he's I'll, so great about, like you said the first time that that he approaches you he just has this smiley as the headphones 
around his neck. And uh, now he's great, man. He's so underrated, I think, in Hollywood for what his body of work is. Yeah. Yeah. And also the time in which he had to forge that body of work. Oh, I know. You know, the shit that he probably had to deal with as a, as a, as a black guy trying to make it. And, and the fact that he has, you know, yeah. uh, and done it with such style and has had so much fun doing it. Oh, man, I bet he's got some stories, yeah. but yeah, like he, he, he's, he's just fun to watch. And he looks, he always looks like he's having fun. Right. And that's the, that's, that's gold, man. You know, like, uh, I think that's what people tune in to watch a lot of the time they want to see compelling stories. They want, but if you, you know, if it's, they want to, they want to see someone having a good time, you know, they want to feel all the feels, but if yeah. an act, you know, I think that's the thing about acting. That's why so many people want to do it because it does look like, you know, fun, even when it, when you're, you know, shouting at the gods and, and, and questioning your fate and, and weeping tears of anguish. It's still like, Oh, I want to do that. That looks like fun. <laughs> <laughs> at least that's my that's that's me anyway you know when you were auditioning for that gig was it a was it a lot of times going back in to get it i think i think i went in i think i went in three times and each time you know i think they were trying to find their guy to play doug masters and so they were there was like they were narrowing their selection. And in the, the third time it was with uh, Sydney, who's the director. And, uh, you know, they, they, he wanted to know, I mean, who knows what he, I can't, I can't speak for him. I can't read his mind, but I think he was, he wanted to see what it would be like to give direction and see how I would, you know, take it. And, and if I was amenable, if I could be flexible, if I could um, change my take on it, you know, and uh, we uh, played some of the heavier scenes, I think, in the movie, you know, the scenes that I ended up playing with Joanne Donacola. And the producer was there. And I think Sydney gave me the part like there on the spot at that third. Wow. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And it was just so freaky because like, you know, you're trying to be professional and not make any assumptions. And at the same time, you've got this, I mean, Sydney J Fury is this, he, his face has been a permanent sort of grin. Like he's talking about a guy who likes to have fun. I mean, he is just constantly, he, uh, you know, smiling and, and wants to play and, 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 uh, and enjoy himself. And, and you get sucked into that. And um, he's a very lovely guy. And so, yeah, it, it, I think it was about three times and, uh, and then it happened. And it was like, and then I was like, all right, that's great. I'll believe it when there's something to sign. Even then, oh, yeah. even then I was like more pessimist than, than, a, than an optimist, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, and was waiting for, I let my talk to my agent kind of thing, you know, like I'll believe it when I see the contract. <laughs> so, uh, but it happened and we were thrilled and it, and, and then the whole process of shooting, I think it was only like a four or five week shoot. It wasn't very long, but you know, I was there all the time and it was just, uh, it was a thrill. It was such a great, such a great memory that shooting that movie, you know, because it is the first, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a, that's a miracle. I think as a Canadian actor, you know, I've now since moved to the States and worked a lot in the States as well. And, um, but making movies 
doesn't really, uh, God bless people who make movies in Canada because it is hard. It is, it's not the same industry here as it is in the States. It's, you know, you make movies in the States to make money. You make movies in Canada because you love making movies, right? So, and this was an American Canadian, like, you know, this is an American company that, but that, that doesn't, you know, even then it's, uh, that doesn't happen as much anymore. So the notion as a young actor with stars, stars in his eyes, like I'm getting to make a movie, not only am I getting to make a movie, but I'm getting to make a movie inside like a property that like I grew up on. I, I remember watching the first Iron Eagle with my dad and like, like totally loving it, like totally wanting to be Doug Masters. I think I went out and got the same Walkman he had, you know, at one point. Like I really wanted that Walkman. I, m- I remember trying to figure out how to strap it to my leg the way he had it in the jet. Like that was, you know, I, that was a, that was a kick-ass movie. And, and it was about young and it's message. It's, 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 or it's conceit that young people, young adults, you know, can do what adults can, can uh, achieve greatness or on the cusp of it. If they have the right, you know, mentors, that part of it is it spoke to me, you know, and I think that, as you say, in terms of how Lou plugged into that and, and how that movie's formula tends to, to work is it's true, you know, because it's, it's what audiences of a certain age are hoping to hear and hoping to believe. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's also play, you know, jets, hardware, motorcycles, crazy race cars, that kind of shit. Like we, we love that too. You know, like a lot of us, you know, growing up guys and girls were like, hardware is cool. Like, and to, and to use that to push yourself is, is uh, over the top is like, you know, is awesome. And so I think that's part of the reason why the movie works, but I, I, yeah, I was just sort of beside myself that I got to be a, a part of that franchise, you know, and, and, uh, as, as, uh, corny as as it can be sometimes you know uh it's still it's still a minor miracle as a canadian actor to be like on set and doing it you know so it's pretty wild that just your like you said like your first movie the being a canadian actor and being like number one number two with lou gossett on the call sheet was that like because it's the first time you ever did it you're yeah. doing the soap which i've interviewed some people in soaps and they were like that's just like military boom 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 because we want our summers off because that's what they would do like they in the states though that's how they did it here they'd be like all right we want to be able to have like 12 weeks off we're gonna get all this done as soon as we can but was it like so demanding because like you said you're pretty much in like 75 percent of the movie 80 percent of the movie you're always there it's gonna be demanding yeah yeah i think yeah you're right it is demanding but when you're 21 and you're yeah uh, just kind of like you, know, you have stamina that, you know, I wish I had again, but you know, <laughs> but like you're, you're just, you know, it's just, I don't, I don't ever remember being over feeling overly taxed. I just wanted to, I just wanted so badly to do a good job, you know, that, that I was, you know, um, I worked as hard as I knew how and, and, and was because, uh, it never felt like it was too much. Maybe, maybe when I was running around in the snow with like no fucking gloves and falling in it, that was a bit, 
gross. That was a bit hard, but, but I was like, I'll do it. You want me to fall again? I'll do it. Like I was so, <laughs> I was so eager to please and so grateful to be there. And so thrilled to be there that I was just like, throw myself into anything and, and give it everything I had and just, you know, feeling grateful. You know, it wasn't until I like I, that attitude, like, wow, I'm not going to, because I started this interview by saying, you asked me about Shaw, I'm grateful to be there. And, and I am. But I did go through a period of time, uh, for sure, when I was in my like late twenties, early thirties, it was like, <laughs> it was like you're lucky to have me. <laughs> oh God, I feel embarrassed saying that, but it's it's if I'm it's true. Like I did, I was like, you know, I had a big ego, and because I thought, I thought I was all that in a bag of chips, and and uh, it was it was when the work didn't keep coming. And people said you have a bit of an attitude. And then I realized there is like a million good actors out there who are ready to, to work and have, you know, don't have those, doesn't have that. That I was like, right, right. I, every time I, you know, this is a lottery that I'm winning and I need to, uh, you know, be a part of the team and not the point like you know what i mean like you're you're just a part of a team and that team is a, a lot of moving parts and a lot of people and and there's no room for that kind of stuff right i can't believe you admitted that that's that's good that you admitted that how did you really come to the realization did somebody say that to you oh sure yeah i remember getting a sit, i got a sit down with my agent at one point this is the same guy who came to see romeo and juliet and, and uh and he was like you know like they liked you for this thing, but they felt you kind of had an attitude. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> and they were, and he was like, okay, well, I've done my bit. I've talked to you. Right. And you know, but then, but then I, you know, what really did it was I started to produce my own work. Like I started to produce theater and, and I, that really opened my eyes to the amount, the immense amount of work that, it takes to get any production off the ground, anything, a small little play in a rinky dink 50 seat theater to a movie that's happening. Like the amount of blood, sweat and tears that has to go into that thing, getting financed and backing and advocacy. And my God, the amount of time. So to have someone show up and not, (laughs) not give it everything they have or give attitude is like, whenever I encountered that, like one, it made me really reflect on the times that I had been that guy. And two, it's, you know, I would not, I would not settle for that kind of, from the people who I worked with, I, I needed to create a space that was, you know, safe and positive and fun. And there's no, there's no room for attitude and ego in, in there. So it was really that, that, that I mean, I, I, tr- I think I turned a corner and then, uh, and then just because I matured and grew up a bit, but then producing my own work for, and which I did for many, 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 many years. Uh, and I, and I loved it and, and I learned a lot, uh, that really just was like, right, right. <laughs> so then when you go back to just being an actor, you're like, oh my God, I am so grateful that all I have to do, my only job is being a good actor. That's all I have to do. I don't have to raise money. I don't have to communicate with 50 different people about, 
you know, every last detail. I don't have to write grants. I don't have to fundraise or, or, or like fix leaky pipes in a bathroom. I mean, like, you know, like that, that's when you go, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Amazing to be here. Thank you. (laughs) You know, happy to be here. A pleasure to work with. That's my mantra, you know? (laughs) That's great. It's funny. Like I rewatched, I don't know how I didn't catch the last time I watched Giant Eagle four, but I watched like some of the scenes today and Joanne Vanicola. I'm like, I've seen her before. She's on that big time horror, like anthology slasher, which is a Canadian based. It was bought by Netflix and then Shutter just bought it. So it's the new season comes out soon. And I'm like, do I know her? She looks exactly. And then I looked her up and I'm like, oh my God, even Rachel Blanchard. She's in a ton of stuff right after this. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Canada is full of amazing talent. And because we don't have a star system here in, a, in the way that you have it in the States, you got to do your homework to see, uh, you know, the amazing body of work that these actors have. Right. And it's a hustle. It is a hustle. Joanne Venicola, um, she actually just put out a, an autobiography that's um, about her experience growing up as a child performer and uh, it's, it's, it's uh, I got to look it up now so I can say it because uh, yeah. I want to plug it, but uh, she's an amazing, uh, she's an amazing actor and she's got to talk about a body of work. I mean, she's been going for a long time. Now her role in the, in the movie is so wild. The, yeah. Just the fact it. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a bit of a crazy script hey you know i haven't watched the slasher series but i'm about to because you know a good friend of mine is the showrunner on that ian carpenter and one of the writer directors adam mcdonald wrote an amazing one of my favorite horror movies called backcountry which literally scarred me i watched it and i was like i i still have like a little ptsd from watching that i gotta check that out backcountry backcountry check it out don't watch it with kids in earshot (laughs) i will not yeah i've i don't know why i've i mean i'm a horror nut and i haven't watched it so but then the latest season has uh david cronenberg's is is one of the leads and oh sweet i mean you know there is no as a genre nut there is no auteur director canadian auteur director that i would i i would cut off a pinky to work with that guy like (laughs) he's a he's a genius and uh i love his movies grew up on his movies Joanne Venicola's book, All We Knew But Couldn't Say, I think there's an interesting story to be read there. I haven't read it yet, but it's on my list. And uh, yeah, she's got a fascinating story and she's a very, you know, talented and has been working forever. You know, you look and you dip into all these, a lot of these actors. The thing about Canada, you know, they're, they're, we're always hustling. We have to be, you know, and in the States too, I, I you know, because I've lived and worked in both countries and I, I get it, you know. Um, but the mechanism here is smaller. There's just not as much work. So you really got to fight. And then that means we do a lot of different things, right? We do film, we do television, we do theater, we migrate between them. And I think that serves our, um, I think that serves us as, as actors, you know? Um, and it, uh, it definitely keeps you well-practiced and also understanding the different demands more of the different mediums, right. If you can switch between them. Um, 
it's 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 challenging though. I think I I, I booked uh, I did a TV show I did a TV show called Rain. It's a couple of years ago now, but I hadn't worked in TV in a while. And um, it was directed by Megan Follows, who's a huge Canadian star and big star in, in her own right, not just in Canada but you know North America. And uh, she was she's a lead in the series and she was directing it. And uh, I was so excited to be on it. And you know, there's this. I play this doctor who's like basically trying to, he's, a, he's an addict and he's trying to scam, you know, the queen out of, out of, you know, lots of money so he can feed his habit and he gets busted. And at the end he gets sort of brought before the queen and dressed down. And he's like, you know, and I was like acting up a storm <laughs> and Megan follows goes like, uh, says, you know, like yells at me and it's the end of the day. And they're trying to get this scene in. They only want me there for like, literally, I shot, I'm the guest on the show and I'm only on there for a day because they're trying to just get my scenes in and get me out of there. And uh, she yells at like, it's not theater. Take it down a notch. Like, I was <laughs> like, oh my God. Oh, it was, it was, it was a, a very humbling day on set, let me tell you. <laughs> so, you know, I say that we have to, we have to be able to, you know, to make a living, we, we, we go to the different mediums, but it's, and it, it's good for you, but it's not easy. It's not always easy. Right. So. No, it's totally different. I just interviewed a casting director last month and she told me like theater people are great, but sometimes when they audition, they don't like flip that switch or take it down a little bit because you're so used to your projecting is you, your voice. It's not like, whispering on stage is different than whispering on like a TV set or a movie set because people oh, yeah. have to sort of hear you. So she told me she'd bring these fantastic people. She's from Brooklyn when she was like starting up and she's like, they just didn't know how to turn it down, like in the audition. So I understand why you'd be doing that. Yeah. That, that's part of the training too, right? Like, like, you know, you're, you're, you get trained to be full, you know, you get, your training is about, uh, a lot of the times is about, you know, making things matter. This is not just, this is, this isn't just any day. This is the ultimate day. This is the ultimate moment. Like it's, it's, it's about making it matter. And sometimes that comes off as big and, you know, uh, it is a, it is a skill to reverse engineer that so that you can still, and that really, honestly, the, the way you get that is by, by getting on set and getting to practice and then failing sadly and seeing, Oh my God, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, you know, you need to practice in front of a camera and then see the results in order to be get, to get good at it. Right. Theater actors never see themselves. Right. They never go to like, they see other actors. You never, you're not going to watch a film perform. Like you might now. And like when I have a subscription to Broadway HD and, and I do watch actors on stage, but I'm not going to, I, you know, you don't typically watch yourself, right. Yeah. Unless you're seeing it on film and television. And so that's a, that is, you know, that internalizing of those big things is, is a skill that needs to be practiced and, and needs, and you need to do it in front of a camera. And so I'm a big fan of like on camera workshops and stuff. I think it's, it's important, right. Because then you don't have, uh, Megan follows going, take it down a notch. It's not theater, you know, yelling at you <laughs> back, right? Which I, from my on my defense, was able to do. Um, but uh, but it it yeah, it's 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 true, you know, like like, and that's <laughs> as a, an actor who works in Canada all the time. He's, you, you know, you should get him on your show. His name's Tony Napo. He's such a character, and he's 
brilliant actor and just a phenomenal, like full of love, this guy, right? Like, you know, and um, he works a lot in, in film and television. And he, and I, he watched my demo. Like we, we chat professionally. Right. And I was like, I finished my demo and he was like, let me see it. Let me see it. Let me see it. And I was like, really? I was a little shy to send it to him when I sent it to him. And he was like, and then his, his feedback to me was like, you know what? Just mumble more. You're too articulate, you know, <laughs> mumble, mumble the shit, you know? And I was like, huh. And I, I mean, that's one of those things where it's like, it's a, it's an approach. It is an approach to, I think it's a simple way of, because what you do as an actor is like, you have it, you know, inside, but only a little bit can get out. Only yeah. the tiniest little bit can get out. And it's, it's a matter of calibration, you know? And, and that's, I think what he was getting at. And it's, you know, it's a great note because when I would watch that stuff, you know, I'm, I'm present in, and I'm engaged, but, and, and, but there's no, like the camera can, the camera can actually read your mind. Right. I've had actors say that. And it's so true. It literally, so you, you actually can, as long as you're thinking the thoughts and doing it, you know, it'll do half the work for you, if not more. And I think that's kind of what he was between calibration and that is what he was getting at. And, you know, unfortunately for me, well, not unfortunately, but like, it just takes time, you know, it takes time to learn that. And, and it, hopefully you get opportunities to, to show the world that you figured it out. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're working on your reel for like a TV film reel. Yeah. A demo. I have a demo. Yeah. Like it's a pretty common tool that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't know if you were doing that to, to get back into acting in TV and film. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I was in New York in the past up until 2019, you know, and I was doing, I did a couple episodes. I did of stuff that was shooting there, like uh, blue bloods and um, um, what's that law and order law and order. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, so I got to do some of that and, um, and I definitely, I'm all I'm definitely going to keep pursuing. I mean, I'm an actor, you know, I'm just yeah. down in pavement looking for work right now. I'm, I am so privileged to be at the Shaw festival and be a part of the ensemble. And that's a rare thing, man. Like to be in an acting on, like those are rare in North America period, there aren't a lot of those anymore where you have a group of actors who are, who are in a in-house and are used in the, in a, your cast, you know, alongside your fellow actors and in that way. And I mean, that's an amazing thing. I've always, it's been a dream of mine to, to be a part of that and I'm lucky enough to be doing it. So, but you know, you gotta also, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, and yeah. you gotta be ready and you have to have the tools and that's, that is definitely an essential tool for an actor is the demo reel. You know, you were talking about you produced before. Did you ever direct? Have you directed your plays at all? Once it wasn't my play. I directed a play by Daniel McIver. It was a, an iconic Canadian playwright, film uh, screen, screenplay writer, actor. He's, you know, he's a, uh, he's monster. That's an inside joke. Uh, cause he wrote a play called monster, but he's, he's phenomenal. <laughs> you know, at one point it wasn't even, yeah. So I, we produced a, a, a play of his called Marion bridge, which I directed uh, and I did not enjoy it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was not, I, I, at the time, this is a long time ago. It was maybe 15 years ago. Uh, I was not equipped 
to uh, communicate effectively, to have a plan. You know, I think a director needs to have a plan. You can't just be reactive. That can be part of it, I think, you know, but you really do need to have a, a kind of a thesis <laughs> when you go into directing a play so that you don't get lost because it's so easy. A good play can take you in so many different directions, you know. Um, so I, I did it that one time and I, I, was, I found it very frustrating and was like, OK, I'm not equipped to do this job. Made me appreciate good directors a million times more. And uh, but, you know. One of the things I did just just recently, like one of the things that we're doing at Shaw right now is it's called Fairgrounds. And it's like because the Shaw had to pivot and come up with a lot of outdoor performance stuff for the audience to experience uh, because we couldn't we didn't know if we could even go inside or if we could go inside, how many people we could have inside. They came up with uh, a lot of they put a lot of stuff outdoors. And one of the things they did was they asked the ensemble for ideas for theatrical happenings that could that they could sort of, you know, Pitch us ideas, pitch us ideas. And so one of the things that I pitched was to adapt uh, Edgar Allan Poe's Telltale Heart and into some kind of performance thing. And uh, they went for it. And so I wrote it and directed it as a part of this fairground. So an audience will show up and they'll kind of experience four different happenings. And they could always be different depending on which members of the ensemble are available on that, any, on that day. But Telltale is getting a lot of play time because it, it, a lot of different people can do it. And I did direct that and I had a blast. Nice. So it was the opposite experience of, of that initial directing. And, and I think the big, the big difference is that I wrote it. And so I did come to it with a vision and with a plan and also was amenable to the limitations of performing it outside. And, and having different actors show up to read it on any given day, I was, that made me, you have to be a bit more uh, loose uh, in that regard and not be hanging on to the way it's supposed to be in your mind, right? Which I think playwrights who, who direct can, have sometimes been accused of is that they, I mean, whenever I've written something and another director's come along to direct it, I love that because they see things in the script that I never saw or, or opportunities, uh, you know, weaknesses, um, you know, and, and they, they help build the architecture to support uh, that. And then, and, and, and that's what they do, right? Like they, and they have a language with, like with actors and with designers that I don't necessarily have or have practiced. So I love working with taking my work and, and working with the director. Uh, I love that, but it was also fun to, to, to get to direct to something small. Yeah. Uh, and I did enjoy it. So who knows? Who knows? I, I'm not actively pursuing that, though. Like, <laughs> I don't envy directors. There's so much pressure. And, um, and it's, it's just a really, really big job. You know, it is the job, you know. And it never ends. No, it never ends. And, it, and, it, and the buck stops with you, you know, <laughs> period, period. So that's, 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 you know, you have, a lot, you have to have a lot of confidence to, uh, to be able to uh, to do that job and not undermine yourself, you know. So, and you have to get people to uh, to believe in you too. I mean, there's a certain amount of that with actors, with anybody in this business. I mean, part of the reason that we enjoy the success we enjoy, whether we're actors or writers, or uh, is that we have advocates and people who who believe in us. And starts with your folks if you're lucky, and then yeah. you, you know it, it goes out from there. And 
Um, but a director, I mean, you know, you have to get people to believe in you and then you have to accept responsibility if you, if you, if it doesn't work. Yeah. So, and you have you to know, nail it. You only get a few chances. I just watched the back to the future movies, uh, the movies that made us on Netflix. Yes. I just watched that too. That's a okay. banana story, right? Yeah. Like, but even those guys, he, yeah. it's so rare to you see somebody fail three mo- like, the, you know, visually, obviously Spielberg liked, uh, Zemeckis' work, but like box office wise, money wise, the yeah. first three movies didn't do good. And then yeah. they still believed in them. But most directors, like a few of them, like Sam, I know, Fred Decker, who his movies are like cult classics. Uh, he does Night of the Creeps, he did The Monster Squad, and he did Robot Cop 3. But if three movies like don't do good, you're pretty much kind of screwed. Like you're not blackballed, I want to say, but that's the hardest thing about being a director is you really have to nail it early. Cause then you're good for, you're pretty much almost good for life. Cause they can put that on the poster. Yeah. I mean, I think nobody's good for life. No, yeah. <laughs> in this yeah. business. I mean, I think like anything can happen and that's, that's the, that's the thing I keep telling myself when I'm not working, anything can happen. You know, like <laughs> it, it is a huge leap of faith being in this business and, and you can never rest on your past successes you know, it's, you know, you can, I think there's, le- I think there's the difference between that and legacy. I think that legacy is, is important and, but it means something different than how much money your last, I mean, your last film made at the box office. And when you're talking about the industry of filmmaking, especially in, in uh, the States, that, that really is part of it. Right. Although yeah. I think the game is changing with the, uh, with the streaming services, right? Because how they calculate success. Oh, I don't become, know. Has become so micro, you know, like it's not box office anymore. Box office has changed. The box office is in your living room. The box office is all over the world, all at once uh, in, you know, the matter of a week. And you look at how they released quiet place too, you know, and the, the fact that it was in theaters and then like in 38 days later, I don't think it was in, it was in your living room. Yeah. Right. So like, and that's, that's one of the most successful horror franchises to come out right now. And that, so it's changing, it's totally changing. And I think hopefully that works in the director's favor if, you know, and gives them more chances to fail because I think that's just so essential to any art form, you know, uh, failure. You got to fail. You know, you got to be allowed a certain amount of failure. And I think that's what I took away from the, uh, that particular episode that you're, you're mentioning, you know, the movies that made us and the back to the future thing. I have to tell you though, I was so, I, I just had so much empathy for Eric Roberts. You know, they, they talked about him in absentia. Like he, oh, you know, Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz, excuse me, yeah. Eric Stoltz, not Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts wouldn't have worked in that part. <laughs> it would be pretty. God funny bless to him. About. God bless his sexy deep voice. But uh, no, <laughs> no, that wouldn't have worked. Um, but uh, but you know the way they talked about Eric Stoltz and how he, I just had such empathy for him because he really did think about it like a good actor would. Like, what would this yeah. do to me? You know, this would break my heart if I came home and my. And my life was completely rewritten and I didn't know who my parent, like, I just was like, yeah, man, I actually want to see his version of the movie. Do you know how, you know how much money 
they talk about money. You know how much fucking money, pardon my language, they would make if they released like the redirected director's cut with him. And then like, you, you know what I mean? You ever, you, ever, you ever buy those DVDs where it's like one, one movie's on one side and one movie's on the other side, you know? Yeah. They should do that. I, I would, I would watch that. Well, I know there is behind, they had that big back to the future. It must've been maybe the, I guess maybe like the 30th anniversary of maybe part three, they came out with a big thing. My buddies are, I love the movies, but they're like, like nuts about it. So they bought yeah. like this $50, $60 like thing. And they did have a lot of his scenes because what's mind blowing. Like when you watch the movies that made us, they shot, I think four or five weeks. It wasn't five like, weeks. They shot the whole yeah. movie practically. That's insane. And then they fired the guy. And I was just like, Oh, that's a nightmare. It's a night. It's an actor's nightmare to, 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 to get fired from a job because you're, your take is like not right. I mean, it would just yeah. be like, you're acting wrong. It's like being told, yeah, your acting is wrong. And it would be like, it'd be like, Oh, you're breaking my heart. I don't even know if I can put it back together. So, uh, you know, and he's gone on, he's, he's done. He's done fine. Well, right? how about the other actress? What about for her? The lady <laughs> from the know, office. Right? I forget her name right now. I'll, I'll, I'll maybe try to add it in, but fix it in the editing. Yeah. The fact that she has this role of like, you know, sort of a lifetime. You have, Spielberg's producing he's on set and the fact that you're too tall so too just because you're too tall they couldn't put Michael J. Fox on an apple box or anything yeah yeah I know you're out of I a mean, job just, yeah yeah I know it's it's hard it's heartbreaking man and, <laughs> and and my heart went out to those actors because yeah because that's the that's the shittiest couple of reasons to, to lose a job Ugh. stuff you can't con- one for something you can have no control over you're too tall and two, because they don't, I mean, I get it. Like he was making a different movie and they, he was anyway, it, it's, it's because your artistic interpretation, just you're not able to adjust and it's tough. It's tough, but, but a fascinating, you know, it's fascinating to look back at those movies, such a aptly titled series. Hey, eh? the movie oh, that made us. I can yeah. watch, I can watch millions. I love behind the scenes. I just did for Friday the 13th. I watched all the, the crystal Lake memories. I love watching those too. Those are, I love the behind the scenes stuff. And uh, in part seven, they recast the main guy after one day, they said they just, they weren't working between the main guy and Laura park Lincoln. They're like, yeah, there's no chemistry one day. And then he was in the documentary. They even asked him And then he's like, yeah, the producer said we need to, you have to go talk to us in the trailer. And then he's like, I knew it was, I knew I was getting fired. Oh yeah. Getting fired, getting fired from anything sucks. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that's, you know, it, it marks you, you know, but I think when you're an artist and uh, an actor, or, you know, and you're getting fired off a set, I mean, you're just like, part of our job is to be vulnerable and then to get fired. Oh, just, oh, Five oh. weeks. Yeah, that's bananas. That's bananas. But, you know, that's the business, baby. That's, that's the business. business. So, uh, a few questions. And, man, it's been so great that you took the time again. One my story that you pleasure. told me last time that was, like, burned into my memory was with Lou Gossett. When you were coming into the States, he was able to help you out, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, after I'd made, you know, Iron Eagle and I made another film, a couple of other films and 
TV and I thought, you know, I'd like to, I started to realize that, you know, there was a bigger, there might, there might be opportunities in a bigger market and going to the States. And I had some, you know, heat and I thought, you know, let's give it a try. And so I started the process and this is, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. So this is pre nine 11. This is a different, kind of like a different world time to immigrate to the States from Canada. Very different now to immigrate to the States from anywhere is very different now. We're living in a different world. Uh, the word immigrant means like is is a dip, like it's such a loaded word in a way that it wasn't then at least not I in know. my memory. But anyway, I I I you know I I started to do the you know uh, application process for a green card and and one of the things you have to get is letters that you know support you letters of support from people in the industry who can say yeah this guy is what he says he is and he would uh, he'd do well you know I think. You know, they'd advocate for you, you know, and Lou was one of the first people I reached out to. I remember mentioning it to him on, on set, actually. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm thinking of applying. He's like, you should totally do it. Reach out to me when you're ready. I'll give you a letter. Reached out. He got it back to me. He got the letter, like a personal letter, not a not something bullshit, like the personalized letter. He got that to me within, I would say, a week, less than a week of when I asked for it. It was the first person I asked for, first letter I had. I still have it in the file. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, that just demonstrates what a gentleman and what a class act he was and what a pro he was and how he, he believed in me. You know, we made a movie together and, and, and he believed in me and, and he put it on, he put it on paper and signed his name to it. I mean, that is, you know, I'll always be grateful for that. And uh, as to all the other folks, like I got another letter from Al Waxman. who was a super yeah. amazing. He was in the film as well since passed away and i mean talk he's like the dawn of canadian actors i mean he was just such a such a boss you know <laughs> he had me over you know and i remember going to his house and he was like come on in and he had, he had coffee for me and he signed the letter and patted me on the shoulder i mean to have older actors give you that kind of support you know is so important and i'm conscious of that now as an actor who's getting older you know i'm in this company of actors and i'm like older i'm older one of the fucking older actors and you have these young guys you know coming up to you and asking questions and i just you know i realized the part of the responsibility of being an, an an older person in the business and trying to pass on you know trying to support, trying to pass on what's good, like what you know that works and what, you know, and encourage and just be a, be a, be a mentor in a positive way as best as you can. Um, you know, it's weird to think I have anything to teach anybody, but, but yeah, it's, it, I'm always very grateful for that and to him for that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I got it. I ended up getting my green card and I still spend, you know, a lot of time, like I spend my time in the States, you know, and, uh, working and, and, and I'm so grateful that I can do that. And it's, uh, it's thanks to him in part, you know? Yeah. And you got to do horror, man, especially that your love of horror and GI Jason, the fright rags shirt that you have on, dude, you got to, uh, <clears throat> you got to watch slasher. I, it's happening. I might even go start watching it as soon as we get off 
uh, off this interview, man. And and uh, and I I hope that that show just keeps building the momentum and the success because it's a homegrown and I love it and I love it. You'll see why it. it's really cool when you watch season to season because it's uh, not saying it's like anything else because American Horror Story took from something probably 30 years before or 40 years before, but it's cool seeing the same cast in each season and like these different roles. And one thing I always know it's a Canadian show is the Rosebud Motel from Schitt's Creek. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the first season of slasher. And it's another thing I just saw, like within like the same month I watched slasher, I started Schitt's Creek and then some other show. And I'm like, same motel. And it just says, motel in red letters no name right. to it just motel so you're starting Shit's creek no this is like a oh no no i watched slasher years ago oh okay okay all of that like i think like 2016 2017 but it was just funny watching them and then finding out about the way canadian shows that are funded through the government work so you see a lot of these same like sets or like locations in some of them, but it was so weird seeing that same motel and like three different things within in three different shows. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I only associate that hotel with Schitt's Creek, but it'll be yeah. interesting to go back and watch it. Yeah. Uh, and which I'm going to do for sure. Awesome. Yeah, well, this is great. Jason, you're a godsend for, uh, Oh, Hey man, it's, uh, listen, but I, it was cool talking to you again. Cause you're a great guy. Thanks man. I appreciate the redo. Yeah. Well, Wish you continued success with the Shaw Festival, and uh, I'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks, man. Thanks, Doug. This was a pleasure, and I look forward to hearing the podcast. Man, Jason was so much fun. I was so lucky that, obviously, he agreed to do it a second time, but I got to talk to him two times because I heard a lot of different stories from because I always take notes while I'm chatting with people, so it was really cool to be able to talk about like Deepwater Black and that was really neat talking about how that show basically is what society is today with, you know, the, the virus going on. So of course, stay safe with everything going on. And thank you, Jason. And then Joanne's book that we were talking about, I put that in the episode notes as well. She's great. If you haven't seen Slasher, watch it. I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but I know it's going to be premiering on Shutter, the new season. And Jason's buddy was one of the show running. So I, I hope. One day, Jason not only directs again, because he kind of enjoyed it, but he's also in a horror show. So, your homework, Iron Eagle 4 or Iron Eagle on the Attack. It's free on Tubi, so I'll put that in the notes as well. So don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast, follow us on all social media, at Sequels Only, and don't forget to check out our website, SequelsOnly.com. Good night.